Welcome to Thesis, a podcast about trends in higher education systems and international spheres, exploring the field of higher education across the world. I'm your host, Kelly Davis. The Dutch higher education system has been known for its practices of internationalization and large number of international students and staff. But last November, the end of 2023, the Dutch right-wing party became the largest party in the Dutch House of Representatives in a snap election, which will likely lead to some big changes. Today, I speak with Thijs van Voet, director of the analytics and consulting team at Study Portals, who has worked in international education for almost 35 years, 16 of these at universities in the Netherlands and the UK, and 18 years as a consultant for hundreds of universities around the world primarily in marketing and recruitment and data analytics and market insights. In my conversation with Tice, we consider how the Netherlands and its higher education system are facing some critical challenges, but attempting to address these challenges through curbing the number of international students or internationalization policies may be misplaced policies. This may not really address the root of the problems at hand, and in some cases have negative effects for Dutch students. I left the conversation wondering, If the incoming government moves forward with firmer legislation resulting in the reduction of international students, will it actually solve those problems? Will it be worth the costs and benefits for Dutch students and Dutch society? On behalf of the thesis team, we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, welcome to another episode of Thesis. I am here today with Thijs van Voet, who is going to be talking to us about the Netherlands today and international students coming into the Netherlands, recording on December 7th, um, and we'll be releasing this episode at a, a couple no- months from now, but we are coming just after a an election in the Netherlands. So there's a lot to talk about in this context. A lot of what we're going to sort of be focusing on today is the recruitment of international students and what is changing in light of some of these decisions that may or may not be made at the national uh, level. So uh, let's go ahead and and start. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Tice. Let's go ahead and start with just some brief context around the number of international students that are in the Netherlands. So we've talked before on the podcast in the European context, there's a differentiation that has to occur. There are exchange students, there are full degree seeking students, there's this matter of whether or not students are from the EU and part of this agreement or the Bologna process, et cetera. So if you can just give us kind of the overlay, who what, who are the international students who are in the Netherlands studying now? Uh, well, that's a really varied group, although the number of EEA students has always been the largest, and uh, since Brexit is even larger because quite a few students that used to go to the uh, from the EU to the UK have actually opted to go to the Netherlands. So it, it is a mixed bag. Uh, Chinese students have always been a big group. German students have been a very big group. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, Belgium uh, is in there. Romania, Bulgaria are two big uh, providers of students. So it is a, a really mixed bag. The vast majority is enrolled at the university, the research universities, mainly at the master's level, mainly because most of the programs that are offered in English are at the uh, postgraduate level rather than the undergraduate level so that means yeah they're they're here to stay for one or two years let's say uh, at the postgraduate level yeah it's indeed been a growing number i mean i remember setting up the marketing and recruitment at tilburg university in uh, 1998 so a very long time ago 
we started off with a handful of students. And uh, just to give an example, by now, I think Tilburg has an intake of, of 1,000 to 1,400 students every year, let's say, from 70 countries. But it, it's a really varied group. Yeah, and I think one thing that is kind of a big conversation is the prevalence of the English language in the Dutch system. So you mentioned that the most of the English-speaking programs are at the master's level. There are some at the bachelor's level. And and language is also a, something that's being discussed now in the Dutch higher education policy. So what is the prevalence of the English language? I mean, are most of the master's programs in English or are most of them in Dutch? Uh, what happened with the implementation of the Bologna Accord is that indeed we had to implement these master programs. because We used to have a, a system of four years uh, university education, talking about, again, about research universities opposed to the University of Applied Sciences. And a lot of universities since then opted to offer their uh, master's programs in uh, in English. And the reason for that was very much market-driven. If you look globally, what are international students interested in when they go study abroad? It is actually programs offered in English. I mean, the vast majority actually go to the US, UK, Australia, Canada, apart from now that say all the education is in English, it is the lingua franca of the business world. It will get you the best uh, career opportunities, and career opportunities are a main driver for students to uh, to go study abroad. Especially if you consider that the, the the vast majority come out of globally, let's say from the south and the east, less developed countries where there's not enough seats available in higher education for the local population. So the push factor is if you want higher education, if you want a university degree, you have to go abroad. And that university degree will get you a job. Now, that's why uh, they want to study in English. And that's why uh, in the Netherlands, uh, universities chose to offer these programs in English. One, it's almost like a second language to us, so relatively easy to teach in English. Yes, there are some professors that may not be great, and there's downsides to it, but by and large, uh, and the other one was, of course, I mean, who in his right mind is going to learn Dutch to do a full degree in Dutch if the only countries in the world where you can actually use it are the Netherlands and Belgium? It was a very pragmatic choice, uh, and that way the Netherlands became attractive and still is, I think, a a yeah a second best option. Let's say if you can't get into a program in the UK or the US, then a lot of students will opt for the Netherlands or by now, let's say, uh, maybe also some Nordic countries. Denmark and Sweden. Uh, out of curiosity, would you say that uh, having actually international programs at the master's level might be beneficial also to Dutch students? Since you were oh, mentioning that. Yes, yeah. sure. I mean, there's lots of Dutch students want to do that because, again, they, they realize we live in a, a globalized world and developing your language skills, developing your intercultural skills is part and parcel of preparation for the labor market. Sure. Yeah, it's, 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 I think it was also done as a part of the international strategy of a lot of universities about internationalization. And if you want to internationalize the curriculum, you have to look at the content and, and really provide content with an international aspect, whether that is comparing different countries or really looking at, at transnational issues or whatever. But the other part is also, okay, you want to have an international classroom. Uh, whether that's degree-seeking or exchange students, it's the same in the end in terms of if you want students from different countries, different backgrounds to be in that classroom at a Dutch university, once again, if you're teaching them in Dutch, they're not going to come. So that that was definitely uh, part of that as well. And then also 
all your students that were not going to go on an exchange program and so that stayed at home would be ex- uh, exposed to an international experience in their home university. Exactly. So the, there's that's the context for why the Netherlands wants to bring international students and where they're coming from. But then why are so many international students coming to the Netherlands? You mentioned that uh, that that because there are programs in English and it is so strong. Are there other reasons? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, easy to get by in the, the country in daily life uh, using English. Brexit has helped ripple effect students moving away from the UK to the Netherlands. High quality of education. I think we have uh, all of our research universities ranked in the top 200. And if not top 200, top 400, but that's still uh, high quality education that you're talking about. Uh, We offer it at relatively low fees. If you look at it on the level of EEA students, they pay something like, I don't know, two and a half thousand euros a year or whatever. So that's nothing compared to the fees in the UK or in Australia or in uh, the US. But even if you look at the fees for non-EEA students, let's say they vary from six, seven, eight thousand at the bachelor's level up to twenty, maybe even twenty-five thousand euros a year for a uh, master's program. But again, that's very low compared to uh, some other countries in the world. And uh, let's not forget the, univer- the, the the Dutch government for many, many years encouraged Dutch, Dutch universities to. Uh, recruit students abroad. I mean, Nuffolk set up NATO offices, Netherlands education support offices in, in 10 to 15 countries around the globe. So we were very active in, in marketing, so that attracts students. And the type of education, I mean, we encourage critical creative thinking, which you don't come across in, in every country in the world. In some countries, it is really still all about cognitive learning, you just sit in a big lecture hall, you listen to the professor and you reproduce what the professor has said in an exam. You're not supposed to ask any questions in a lecture. Uh, none of that is the case. Case studies, assignments, it, it's yeah, much more participatory, let's say. I, I, I've written down less theoretical, but that's not the case. It's, it's, it's of course, still theoretical, but it's, it has a practical element to it in terms of the case studies, the assignments, the, the fact that you are invited to ask questions, to be critical. And I know for a fact, when I was still in, in charge at the economics faculty in Tilburg of uh, the marketing and recruitment, that was why German students came to the Netherlands, because none of that was at play in uh, in Germany back then, and maybe still isn't as much as it is in the Netherlands in Germany nowadays. So those are other factors that really make the Netherlands an attractive destination. And you mentioned that the government was promoting this for a long time, but now it seems that things are changing a little bit. So about a year ago, the Dutch government made a statement, made a statement about universities and the recruitment of international students. So I want to ask a couple of things about this statement. First, what were universities being asked to do or not to do? And also who in the government was making this statement? Yeah, the what was basically to uh, curb the number of international students and um, to offer less programs in English. And the, 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 the why was that universities are growing too fast and too big, and especially if you consider that the vast majority are European students who will be funded by the Dutch government. They pay the, 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 the home fee because it's funded by the government. Now, that means that the number of students overall growing means that it's a bigger part of the budget, let's say, or if the pie doesn't get any larger, let's say, then the piece of the pie per student is getting less, so universities have financial issues. Uh, But ultimately, it was about pressure on the institutions, on the professors and the lecturers that 
there's too many students to teach. Then, of course, the argument about that teaching in English is detrimental for the Dutch language, Dutch culture, and the Dutch language skills of uh, graduates, let's say. There is some truth in that. And I have also seen that the quality of education is not always as great. I've supervised graduation thesis and, and, and internship uh, reports, and you you can sometimes really tell that if that student were, was had been able to do it in their in their mother tongue, let's say their, their own language, the quality of the report of the thesis would have been far better. Yeah. So that 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 is a, to some extent a valid reason, but. The other why I also think, and I think that is actually it's not a good reason, is that, okay, there is a shortage of student accommodation, and then the argument is international students take the roof from Dutch students away. But the reality is that we have a huge housing problem. We've always had a shortage of student accommodation, as long as I can remember. I've been working in this industry for nearly 35 years. There's always been a shortage of student accommodation, by and large. What we have at the moment in this country is a housing prices overall. And that is because of that government policy for many, many years. And it's not because of international students or any immigrant, if you like. But that is being used as an argument, basically by how you refer to the election. So we've got some populist parties who now actually won the election or, or became far bigger than they were. And they are really using this as an argument. But I think it's, it's, it's a false argument in all honesty, because the real problem is the fact that we've had a government, a neoliberal government for many years, and rather than coordinating the urban planning, they've left it to market forces. And that's where the problem has started. So when this came up, was it the populist party that was bringing it up, addressing it, or was it even the, the government that was previously in power? No, I do think, I, I don't think it was the government that was in power that brought it up. Uh, I'm, I'm, in all honesty, I wouldn't exactly know whether it was one of these populist parties or not. What is funny is that there is a large part of the previous parliament and the new parliament now after the uh, election that are actually advocating in favor of curbing migration, let's say, immigration overall. There's only two parties, I think, that are actually still in favor of immigrants and, and international students, let's say, uh, basically because we need them because of the fact that we have huge labor shortage. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of the uh, the technical jobs in this country if it weren't immigrants and international students paying for those jobs. But we wouldn't also be able to uh, eat asparagus or uh, whatever uh, vegetables because we need immigrants to do the uh, harvesting, let's say. So I don't know who actually raised it as such, but I don't think it was the actual uh, government that raised it, but they had to reply and come up with a policy because in the end there was a majority in the parliament that wanted something to be done about this. And it's funny because the actual minister of education, Robert Eichra, he is a minister for the, the liberal Democrats, I should say, in the Netherlands, D66, who are the most pro education and pro-European and pro, if you like, not necessarily pro-immigrant, but pro-international outlook of our country, of all political parties. And he now had to, the, the, the Nazi job, if you like, to come up with some sort of policy, like law, to curb the number of international students. Then what is still unclear about about what's going to be asked? I think quite a lot of things, because at the moment, of course, we have an outgoing government, yeah, so they can't really decide much. We have coalition talks going on as we speak between 
uh, right-wing and radical right uh, parties who are really, well, basically, they won the elections on the issue of migration, let's say, and curbing uh, immigrants. So we really have to see what the actual outcome of that will be, because it's going to be a lengthy process. It's not a, a an easy mix of parties, whichever way you look at it at the moment, to form a coalition. So I think that is really uh, going to be decisive. What coalition will it be? At the moment, if you read the proposal or the, the, the letter of the ministry, officially it's a letter to parliament, there's ambivalence in the sector about, yeah, but do we only have to stop teaching in English at the undergraduate level or should we also at the master's level? Some people say, well, it doesn't mention the master's level, so therefore it's only the undergraduate level. And other people say, yeah, but if we do it for the undergrad, we should also do it for postgrad. So that's a level of unclarity, discipline, because there is reference to that discipline for the sectors in the labor market where there's still a skill shortage should be exempted. So is that all STEM subjects or is that particular parts within STEM? There's also a reference that the university colleges who offer these liberal arts programs and some of the art schools, fine art schools, that they should be exempted because they are international in by nature which I certainly find very strange because I would think that would probably go for almost any discipline nowadays that they are international by nature, that universities are international by nature. So why make an exception for the university colleges and the art school? And then, yeah, the universities are being asked not to do anything in terms of active promotion. And that is also open for debate. What do you call active promotion? Is that going to a fair? That is mentioned actually in the letter. So they shouldn't be going to fair. I know universities are, they're just not promoting it on LinkedIn or social media that they are at a fair or what have you. Yeah. But if you say fairs are active promotion, what does that mean for online marketing? If you post your uh, programs on, on education portals, like the ones that we run at study portals. So there's a gray area of what you would call active marketing and promotion. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and they basically said, so, okay, we're, we're not investing more in online marketing than we already did, but they continue doing what they were doing. But once a student comes to us via whatever channel and makes an inquiry to the university, then of course we'll talk to that student and we'll try to bring that student in, meet them if they meet the requirements. Lots of unclarity and I think we really need to wait till we have a new government to understand what will really happen. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that so much is up for interpretation. I think it's very interesting that there are universities that are still maybe bending the rules a little bit, um, and it that matters that much to them. So that says something for sure about kind of the importance of international students to their university for. Yeah, no, they have become, uh, no matter how you look at it, they have become uh, important. They are important in an academic sense. Yeah. I mean, there is definitely a, a, a higher quality of students coming in from abroad. And that's always been the case because if you make that deliberate choice to go study abroad, you almost by definition already belong to a higher uh, quality group of, of, of students, let's say, because you're much more motivated. I mean, I don't know what it was like back in, uh, in your country, but here a lot of students don't really think that much about where they go they go to the nearest university in the uk they go to the one the furthest away but quality doesn't really come into the picture that way and so so those are highly motivated students very often they want to finish the program as quickly as possible because of the cost so they're hard working so that's an academic reason on top of uh, the fact that okay you want that international classroom and the intercultural experience or whatever 
and what that was the main driver when all of this started let's say in 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 the late 90s early this century but what i have seen over time is that the financial reason the financial aspect of it let's say actually became more and more important and yes if and that's the other thing i mean over time there's been lots of budget cuts on on education uh, again over that period so universities had to find different sources of income and yeah, then tuition fees from especially non-EAA uh, students are an extra uh, source of income. And that's become more and more important. It's not to the level of importance as you see it in the UK or in Australia, let's say, but it's definitely a, a factor that if you take that away, cause issues at, at a lot of institutions. But I think overall, if you go this route, the biggest problem will be at the overall national level that we won't be able to fill a lot of jobs in particular sectors that will really cause serious problems. And we've seen this now in Denmark, where they actually went the same route a couple of years ago as we are now planning to go in this country. And they're reversing it in Denmark now because they see that they have still shortages. Have there been any impacts then? I'm guessing not yet, also because of the way kind of the this hiring processes work in uh, many parts of Europe. I, I mean, has this impacted any jobs at all in universities when it comes to recruitment? Because if a university does interpret the policy as we have to... Well, well what is interesting, what, what some people told me very recently is that in some cases, they would simply have to stop teaching a full program because all the professors on the program are international professors who can't speak any uh, Dutch, let's say, or not good enough to be able to teach whatever the subject they, they've been teaching so far in Dutch. So that, that, that would have serious consequences. And it would also have consequences. That is the other thing. If you say you can't teach uh, more than X percent of an undergraduate degree in, in English, what do you do with all your exchange programs? It's one thing to say, okay, degree-seeking students should actually learn the local language, yeah, whether that's Dutch in the Netherlands or Danish in Denmark or Finnish in Finland, let's say. But you're not going to expect an exchange student who might only come for a semester to learn Finnish for a semester or Dutch for a semester and take courses in uh, in, in that language. I mean, that that's simply unrealistic. Somebody might reply to that, yeah, but what about students going to France or uh, Germany or Spain? But again, we're talking about uh, languages that are much bigger and much more common to be able to learn them in secondary school in a lot of countries. People may already have some background in French, German, or Spanish. But at the same time, I mean, uh, we also see that in those countries, they are teaching more and more in English for the same reasons as we have done in the Netherlands. We were just a bit quicker and a bit more pragmatic. But that's the small country approach versus the big country approach. So, I mean, they're probably still dubbing English-spoken programs on television, which we don't do in this country. The famous German dubbing industry. <laughs> yeah, 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 let's not go into that. I have a nice story on that. <laughs> Since so many students are coming from the European Union, and so it's actually, or from the European Economic Area, sorry, um, and so it actually ends up being subsidized in the, by the government just as Dutch students attending university. I mean, is there still incentive there for those international, to recruit those international students from the financial perspective? I mean, uh, I don't know. It, this would depend well, on kind of the funding. Well, at the moment, the, the, the funding system is such that, to put it very simplistic, there is a budget sort of for, for four years for higher education. So that's a fixed amount. Yeah? And basically, that has to be divided over all the higher education institutes. Yeah? So there's uh, 13 research universities and about 50, 54 
University of Applied Sciences. So basically, the, the incentive in the system is that you need to try and grow as an institution, the student numbers, harder, faster than your competitor, because then you get a bit of ch bigger chunk of the pie. The incentive is there to just then bring in as many European students, also because demographically the number in the Netherlands is going down of the college-age population. Yeah? So to counter that and to grow, you need to bring in more European students. Then you get a bit of, a bigger piece of the pie. Mm. Interesting. So you've touched on the role of international students in Dutch society. There's very much a labor market incentive for having international students, and that could become a very large problem, as you discussed. Um, so I think it's clear it's clear to me and, and hopefully to other people as well what the attributes are. But what are some of the assumptions, perhaps more broadly, that people in the Netherlands have about international students that are correct, are incorrect? Well, I think the overall one is that international students take student rooms housing away from, from such students. I don't think there's necessarily an assumption or an attitude in terms of they take away job because generally speaking, that is not really the issue. I think that is the case far more uh, overall, let's say, when we talk about immigration, that foreigners take away the job for the, the Dutch people, let's say. But in that discussion, you hardly ever hear anybody refer to international students. So what I said earlier about threat to the Dutch language and culture, but that's really about the teaching in English. It's not necessarily about the international student. Maybe in some cases, international students might take a seat, the place in a program of a Dutch student, but I don't think that is that big a problem in all honesty, because it is a matter of having the right secondary school diplomas, and in some cases, maybe great, but then you're talking medical school and and what have you, let's say, but for a regular physics program or biology or social science program, grades uh, don't come into, into the discussion, let's say, in terms of being admitted or not, especially at the undergrad level. I mean, I think usually that comes from some sort of story or rhetoric. So either you have a lot of student, well, that probably, probably mostly top-down rhetoric, actually. So that somebody saying like, oh, it's because this is happening that you didn't get into this program or such and yeah but yeah there's not really that kind of conversation happening nah, no no the, the housing it, it's definitely at play there and again yeah. as i said earlier i think it's the wrong uh, it's not right what they're doing there's no causal relationship inside. well i'm curious because you mentioned that dutch students typically go to the closest university is it common for dutch students to live at home while they're going to university or do they often try to i move think out? it's about a 50 50 split and yes mm -hmm. it's become more difficult for students to find a room so there's a larger proportion staying at home now than they did before but what you should take into account in in that respect there so we have about 50 universities of applied sciences that have a far more regional function than the research universities of which there's only 13 so uh, in every major city there will be one or two at least one or two uh, universities of applied sciences so yeah then it's relatively easy to uh, to stay at home let's say because it's in the same town uh, but it's also the fact that you are familiar with that university of applied sciences or familiar with the research university down the road let's say rather than the one two or three cities away, that has been really, and still, to a large extent, one of the factors at play, the, the, geograph the geographical distance, more than in, in, in other countries where sometimes the idea is to get away as far as possible from mommy and daddy, for all the right and wrong reasons as well. Guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, Thais, thank you so much. It's been great to kind of, this is something we've been really curious about. I think, well, I have at least for, um, for a long time, ever since I saw kind of everybody re- responding to this suggestion, this uh, letter to the parliament. Um, so it's been great to get your perspective and, and learn also a little bit more about the, the housing component. Um, to wrap us up, we have one question we like to ask our guests uh, at the end, which is who was someone or uh, an experience that you had, which was particularly influential in your own higher education journey or perhaps uh, your professional journey? Whoa. Well, I think, I mean, there, there, there's actually three four names that come uh, to mind, uh, but they do relate to a large extent to an experience, which basically was, I didn't go abroad to study, but I went abroad to work. So uh, while I had been working at Tilburg University for about four years, uh, one of my British colleagues in Tilburg became a professor at Sheffield Helm University in the UK, and he basically got me a job in Sheffield. And uh, those 18 months in Sheffield uh, have definitely been uh, very uh, influential because it made me yeah, realize more what it was like to, for students to study abroad, having gone through some of those experiences myself. I got the opportunity to sort of take a peek in the UK kitchen of marketing and recruitment of international students, which they were already doing for quite a few years and uh, very proactively, and we didn't in the Netherlands. Because of that, ultimately, yeah, I set up the marketing and recruitment in Tilburg, and ultimately, I set up my own consulting firm in the Netherlands. So that friend, Chris, who unfortunately passed away last year, was definitely very important. And my wife has been so supportive that I've been able to build this career. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that uh, tidbit. And yes, it's it's those experiences abroad, whether it was studying or perhaps something that happens afterwards that uh, can be quite informative and lead us in very interesting trajectories yep, uh, for the rest of our lives. Uh, well, thank you so much, Tice. Thank you for joining us on Thesis. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you liked what you listened to on Thesis today, please follow the podcast and feel free to leave us a rating or a comment. Links to relevant work by our guests and their contact information can be found in the show notes. Today's thesis episode does not take a position on the issues discussed on the podcast. Opinions expressed on this episode are solely those of the guests or hosts. This podcast is produced and edited by Ekaterina Korinska, Maria Angeles Hidalgo, Ayla Rubenstein, Tracy Waldman, Kelly Davis, Liliana Sofia Riano Sanchez, and Petar Vujicic. Original music is produced by Petter Strom. This podcast was recorded at Helga Engshus at the University of Oslo's Faculty of Educational Sciences. Thanks to IDEA, Innovation and Digitalization in Educational Arenas, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Thesis. We'll talk to you next time.